when I got to Google, uh, one of my first earliest bosses said, you have rookie smarts. And I was like, what does that, what does that mean? And I was like, is this a bad thing? It's like, it didn't sound very exciting to me. I was like, is this, a, is this rude? And she said, <laughs> no, there's a book called Rookie Smarts. And it's basically about like, sometimes when you're the rookie and you don't even understand what failure means or you don't know all the rules yet, you just go for it. Hola and welcome back to another episode of Moneda Moves. I'm your host, Leanne, and today we are speaking with serial entrepreneur Eliana Murillo. You may know her as creator of Hola, the Latinx group at Google, also founder of Latina Su Brunch, Element & Co., and her family venture, Tequila Alquimia. As it turns out, this kind of rookie smarts has been a part of Eliana for quite some time. And from her college dorm business to a 10-year career at Google, it turned out to be an absolute asset. On today's episode, we discuss this mindset and her journey in identifying opportunity, creating business, and scaling a company. She also talks about taking the plunge into full-time entrepreneurship and championing Latina bosses. This is why we couldn't think of a better partner for this episode than the Mujerista, the digital media publication and network dedicated to empowering and celebrating the next generation of Latinas, making an impact on La Cultura. Go check them out across platforms at the Mujerista. On to this week's episode, No Te Lo Quieres Perder. Joining us today, we have Eliana Murillo. She is founder and CEO of Element and Company, which includes an innovation venture lab, production studio, and consulting firm. But you may also know her from Latinas Who Brunch and also alumna of Google. Quite a storied background. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today, Eliana. I'm so excited. I love what you're doing, and I'm just ready to jump in. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Would you mind just walking us to start uh through your background, your corporate background, and how you decided that the entrepreneurial route was for you. Sure. I'm like, let me piece it all together because <laughs> I think the background, the background does, it's all interwoven, I think. Um, so I'm from Oxnard, California. My family is from Mexico. Both my parents' families are originally from there. And I grew up in a, in a city that feels like a small town. It's not a big place. Uh, there's apparently between two and 300,000 people but it's not like LA, you know, it's like, it's an hour north of LA. It's not the suburbs either. It's its own special place where there's not a lot of big business. It's a lot of small businesses, a lot of agriculture. And so the reason that matters in the story is because ultimately I was really inspired by so many small business owners and now I'm taking the plunge and I'm doing it myself. But anyway, I'll come back to how that's relevant, but you know, I was immersed in culture uh, my whole life um, in community with the family. It's very involved in the community locally. And so I ended up going to Harvard, which was not at all in, in my um, <laughs> anticipated plans for my life. Um, I you know, went to public school, thought I'd stay in California my whole life. And my mom said, you have to apply to Harvard. You never know unless you try. So that really changed my trajectory quite a bit. So I went out to the East Coast, went to school um, you know, in Cambridge. I did the four years there. And while I was there, I realized that you know, I had an interest in business uh, because growing up, actually, I had done culinary arts competitively. So I was a competitive cake decorator. Um, when I was 17, I was the cake decorating champion of California. <laughs> and so it was a big passion of mine that I wanted to turn it into a career. And so that's something that not a lot of people know. But the reason I ended up being interested in business is because I thought, fine, if I can't go to culinary school, because my dad said I had to go to real college, fine, then I would instead try to figure out a way to learn about business. So then when I graduated, I can continue back 
onto the path that I saw for myself in the food industry. So because I was interested in business, I joined Latinas, I would say, I first joined, yes, the Forza Latina and Brass and all these Latino groups, which were awesome. But the point I was making about business, it was because of people in those groups, they told me about joining groups like Women in Business and others. And so in those, I realized that they, they had a lot of companies telling us they were looking for diversity and it was like, you know, come be a leader at our companies. And I thought, well, you're looking for diverse leaders and I'm the only Latina here. I think there's so many other people out there who'd want to get these jobs and not just these companies, and, but many more. And so I was interested in pursuing uh, marketing and just other more creative aspects of business. So I built relationships with different recruiters, different companies, and ultimately one of those was Google. So I helped friends get jobs there. They told me it was awesome. I ended up coming to Google full-time. And that was uh, as an intern actually first in 2009 in sales. And then I joined full-time right out of college and I did 10 years there. So over the course of those 10 years, I maintained this mission, this, this, like, this drive and commitment to advocating for access. So how can, how can I, as a Latina on the inside, advocate for our communities, both, you know, our, like our gente Latina, but also other diverse communities that are unique, but often share similar challenges and lack of access to resources and opportunities. And in this case, um, lack often aware of awareness of tech and how it could benefit their small businesses or their careers, different things. So, so I started projects that became opportunities that were much bigger than myself. Um, I ended up creating, co-founding the ERG employee resource group for Googlers that are, you know, Latin American descent. Um, Hola, I was able to carve out a role which became a team, founding the multicultural marketing team. And in that, I did a lot of consumer marketing and business to business, B2B, business to business marketing with small business owners. And I just really, it just felt like it was a way to give back. And I felt really connected and inspired to it because it was like business owners, like the ones back home. And my family and I have an organic tequila company. So I knew firsthand what it's like to build something from scratch, from nothing, and trying to figure out what resources are out there to grow, um, to turn something that we want to bring out into the world, into an opportunity to, you know, I think it's about so much more than just finding a way to make money as an entrepreneur. It's like, it's a passion, it's a drive. And so, you know, there was a time when I had to convince my dad to get a website and, you know, thinking of one day doing online advertising or, or learning analytics just seemed so far-fetched. So it, it gave me a lot of perspective that helped from a business standpoint at Google, helping me recognize the value I could bring because of my experience, but then also like I said, the inspiring part of it, of getting to know both entrepreneurs and creators, content creators. And I just thought, I here I am trying to tell them how to leverage these different tools, help them grow online and engage their audiences and amplify their reach. And I thought, it just sounds so, it's hard, of course, it's hard work, but it sounds so exciting and uh, challenging in a way that inspired me that I thought, okay, I've been a serial side hustler for a while doing these, you know, a tequila company on the side, starting <laughs> Latinas Who Brunch on the side, consulting on the side on different projects. Let me, let me take the, the leap and be on the other side and give it a go myself. So here I am. What were the elements that you felt that you had going into going full-time uh, freelance, starting your own business? Yeah. I mean, there's a couple components that led me to making the jump. And I think one being that I did have experience in all of these things already for the most part. Um, 
not full time, of course, but I had gotten a sense for what I wanted to start or what I was already doing. And so I, I sort of de-risked the decision for myself. And so if, again, this I did leave by choice. So I don't want to undermine the experience of having, there's so many people right now that are having to deal with this out of necessity. So right. I don't want to, you know, I want to, empath- I want to sympathize for the fact that it is a different circumstance. However, I think some of the the things that I often recommend to people, and it's only because I have experienced this, you know, I like to send the expert of my own experience. I don't pretend to know something that isn't true to my own experience. So I think that the the point of having had experience developing these projects as side projects, side hustles to start, it was really good context for me to have that confidence of knowing, okay, I didn't do this 100% yet, but I've given it enough energy, enough effort. I've tested a few things to see what works. Like you know, with um, Latinas Who Brunch, I had a sense for what we do already. We have, we're in 17 different states before the pandemic happened. We've been growing a lot. I knew what it looked like to grow online. And so before leaving, I started really taking to the next level, pivoting toward content and testing that out. With Alquimia, the pandemic affected our small business, of course, with, you know, a lot of shutdowns and everything. And so I started getting creative and doing virtual tastings and, and really reimagining what our marketing approach would look like if we don't have normal access for consumers at points of sale so anyway so the the circumstances like I I left Google by choice but I didn't choose for the pandemic to affect our business and my community of where we do events in person like our bread and butter um, ways that we engage in our community is in person with these brunches and, and all these activities so I think that there's a lot of thought that goes into leaving a company leaving a job but and I did all the thinking and I overthought it and I tried to, you know, feel like it was a smart decision, but knowing that I had tested it a bit and it wasn't starting at square one, I had a little bit of experience already just made me feel more comfortable knowing, okay, I know what I'm doing. I have a plan in mind. I may not have all the answers and I don't know what life is going to bring us next. Like we didn't predict the pandemic in the way that it's affected us now. Who knows what could come next, but I felt good knowing I'd, you know, I'd try to save as much as I could. I had my plans in place and I knew that there were people around me who I could reach out to for help if I needed it, at least advice or to keep me motivated and to, to do that. And so I am so impressed with the people who are reinventing themselves right now out of necessity or out of just the desire to finally dedicate time for what they really want to do in life. And right now, more than ever, I tell people like, just try it, just try, it. even if it's on the side, if you, if you don't want to quit your job yet, then test it out. If you had to quit your job, then first and foremost, do what you need to do to take care of the essentials, like you know, paying the bills and the things that keep the lights on. But there's never been, not only because of the pandemic, but because of the use of technology, there's never been a better time to start a business because you can start an Instagram, start a website, get up, you, you get your Shopify set up, e-commerce. So I'm not branding any, I'm not promoting any particular platform, but there's so many out there that like the barrier to entry to become an entrepreneur and to launch from like, an idea, a concept to something in reality, this is the time for it, you know? Yeah, no, completely, completely agree. And I was just speaking with an entrepreneur earlier today who said something very similar. Although it's a very strange time to start a business, it certainly is a time where you can Mm -hmm. catch people uh, who are digital natives right at their screens, right? Because that's where we're spending a lot of time. Um, So Mm -hmm. I'm curious, what was the first venture that you launched ever? um, on, on your own, would you say? And what was that experience like? Sometimes as kids, you can see talents that children have that they don't see in themselves yet. So there were, my first little business was technically when I was six years old, but <laughs> I'll tell the little story only because I don't want to leave people hanging. L- let's um, hear about I, that. Yeah. 
we had a community yeah we had this uh, annual community garage sale day and i was six years old and asked my dad and I, don't, I don't think i really even spoke very much english at the time yet and i asked him like aren't people hungry um aren't they thirsty i knew adults drink coffee so i he helped me put my little coffee pot out there he helped me make coffee and i sold cookies and but it was just funny because i think that sometimes we overlook these skills these curiosities kids have that come mm -hmm. so naturally to them and if anyone is listening people speak spanish like see nace. you know it's like we can't teach it like no one taught me how to start a business i just thought supply and demand people here look like they'd be hungry it's morning time i don't know why they're out buying <laughs> garage sale things early anyway so just a funny anecdote but i've been asking friends like what did you do when you're like six or eight years old because often those are the things that stay with us or or maybe it's meant for us to come back to that like if you love being in the mix with your tias in the kitchen at family parties and you love telling stories and loving the chisme maybe you're meant to be a journalist or i have a friend who picked up a camera and made his first little film when he was nine, eight years old and he wants to be a filmmaker and i asked him when, when did you make your first film and he said oh, i was like 18 I was like, your first film was at 18. I can't imagine that's true. Like that seems kind of late. And he's like, oh, I mean, I had a camcorder when I was eight. It's like, what? That's real. And he's like, yeah, I guess I made a little horror film. So I just think it's really cute and fun to acknowledge that, you know? Uh, and the fact that mine was in food, of course. Uh, my next business was selling art supplies at school. <laughs> but but the real, like first real, um, I, it's not even quite a venture. I just like it as an example because it led to my career trajectory in some ways. Um, in college, I sold chocolate dipped strawberries out of my dorm. Wow. every valentine's day so it was like my first pop-up business i dipped thousands of berries like this was not casual all by I, yourself oh my gosh yeah. oh my god yes like thousands it was crazy so i ordered and this is the thing i didn't even have a business plan i had friends interviewing for consulting gigs and they were like do what are your margins what are this and i was like oh my god look i order wholesale <laughs> strawberries i price them cheaper than the online competitor i make a profit i get paid before i make them so i have all the money first and then i sell them <laughs> but it was more than that but it was like i went to my dining hall i asked if i could order strawberries through them so i got a really good price on wholesale strawberries in bulk i borrowed their trays so my my like operational costs weren't too high um, to to keep them on sheet tr sheet trays and it was in Cambridge so it's freezing cold and I rarely tell the story so I'm excited to share it now it's just fun to take me back but um I opened up all the windows of my bedroom and turned it into like a giant freezer because it was so cold and I slept in the living room so no I had my way. bedroom full of sheets of strawberries oh it was crazy like my roommates were like what are you doing and I was like just watch just just wait for it so I made a little <laughs> website which at the time was with Blogspot. And I learned that Google had a platform at the time called Google Checkout. So I did, I had credit card transactions. Like this is before Square, before Shopify. I had people paying me with their cards online. So I got all their orders. I did a pre-sale and I specifically, and this is me like customer acquisition strategy. I specifically targeted boyfriends and single girls. And when I reached out to people saying, hey, I'm selling strawberries. And so of course all these boyfriends were like, oh my God, I didn't know what to get my girlfriend. All these women were like, treat yourself, you know, excited to have their girls night with their strawberries. So I, um, and I even took, I took a bus, this is pre-Uber, I took a bus to um, a Target and got a bunch of chocolates and, and I, I took a suitcase and I filled up the suitcase full of all this chocolate and I brought it back in the snow on the bus. It was crazy. The oh things that I, I just decided, I took it upon myself and did this. I sold so many strawberries the first year. I did even more sales the next year, but what was interesting was that the, this next year, Zipcar existed. So you could borrow or rent a car for $7 an hour. So I recruited a friend and told him, look, if you drive deliveries out to people 
and I can charge them for it, then I'll pay for us to go to Costa Rica, which was a really great deal for him. And we made tons of money. So I sold more because I could do deliveries because nobody wanted to come to my dorm in the snow for strawberries. I mean, they did, but I obviously expanded my market even more. Anyway, long story long, it, I did very well each time and I was able to afford, you know, the, the extra cositas I needed in school and a spring, dra- spring break trip with friends. I'd never done that before. But um, when I interviewed for Google, they said, what's your favorite Google product? And I said, actually, I used a lot of Google products for my business. And it was, I was describing a pop-up where I told them about how I did transactions online and Blogspot and I had my spreadsheet for all my calculations of sales. It was a whole thing. And so that right now is literally someone's business. Like someone's doing that right now on Etsy, you know, like that story from that was beginning in 2007. I was, I was a little ahead of the curve doing it out of my dorm room, but that's often, that's often the story you hear of like a tech startup starting in a dorm room. You know, it's, it's rare that like Latinas, Latinos have these stories to tell. Mine was in a tech product, although I use a lot of tech. It was a tech enabled chocolate of strawberry little business it was xoxo berries because at the time gossip girl was really popular so like xoxo oh i love that that's exactly right and anyway i i got excited telling the story and thanks for indulging me and listening to that because i don't often tell that story usually people want the corporate responses or the official real side hustle but like now it's so funny because the more you learn often the more it holds you back because you realize the risks involved the challenges and so i've noticed that i've become slightly more risk as much as i love innovating and love starting new projects. I know that now I know the real parameters for things. So sometimes it'll hold me back where it's like, if I do X or Y, Z, you know, there's some challenges here. What if this happens? What if this happens? And, and I think it's important to remember those stories of the, how resourceful we were when we knew even less, because it's almost like there's in my mind at the time, there was no such thing as failure. Like, how am I going to fail? I'm going to make strawberries. Who doesn't like chocolate of strawberries? They're twice as much online. I'm on campus. I have friends who will buy them and it worked. Well, now maybe I think like, well, who's going to really buy them from me? You know what I mean? Like it's easy to let doubt creep in. So I think uh, when I got to Google, uh, one of my first earliest bosses said, you have rookie smarts. And I was like, what does that, what does that mean? I was like, is this a bad thing? It's like, it didn't sound very exciting to me. I was like, is this this rude? (laughs) She said, (laughs) no, there's a book called rookie smarts. And it's basically about like, sometimes when you're the rookie and you don't even understand what failure means or you don't know all the rules yet, you just go for it. And so I think for anyone listening who's thinking of starting a business or or is in one and sometimes maybe gets caught up in fear of it, it's like, you just got to go with it. And sometimes even if you're a rookie, sometimes knowing less can be a blessing because you may, you know, you may get your, your wrist slapped or you may have a couple stumbles here and there, but you don't realize what you don't know. So you think anything is possible. And I think that's awesome. We need to retain that as long as we can. So this risk averseness that you mentioned kind of comes, like you said, from from more knowledge. The more you know, it's kind of like analysis paralysis, but also from the fear of failure. Inevitably, entrepreneurs will have to deal with this at some point in their life. How do you deal with failure? I think it's something that it's something that entrepreneurs face all the time because I think it's super important to focus on our why and our mission, of course, but fear of failure can, can creep in every single day, you know, because every step of the way there can be a stumble, there can be a setback. And so something I try to do when I'm, when I'm seeing myself start to hold back is to remember what I've already done. And remember what I've already overcome and just remember like I've been through hard things before and I overcame those and to remember who supports me 
Like there are people out there, either if it's potential customers, friends, advisors, mentors who will have my back. And then I think of the worst case scenario, like what's the actual worst thing that could happen? And in fact, someone recently asked a dream company to work for it, you know, all these accolades, sure. Or like these um, kind of signals of success, I guess, that you could associate with it. And how did I then come to decide to leave? And I said, well, one of the things I had to think about, like, yeah, it was a big deal to leave, but I thought of the worst case scenario. And for me, it was, I guess I'll just go back to a tech company, Google or otherwise, and get a job. Like it's what I'm already doing. So if the worst case scenario is coming back to exactly where I am, then that's not, that's not really real. That's not really like substantial enough to avoid it because I'm already in it as an entrepreneur that looks different where, where it's like, am I afraid to invest a ton of money into something or dedicate a lot of time, resources, like hiring people. And so I think the best thing I can do to prepare for that or to overcome it is just really thinking of unpacking the fear. Like, what am I really afraid of? Is it of looking dumb that something didn't look polished, didn't look perfect? Is it that I will waste time and energy? Like, okay, well, my own time, I have kind of infinite time. It's not free, but I can always just try again. If it's wasted resources, is there a way that I can test it? That I can, like with the strawberry business, can I get orders in advance before I buy my supplies? If it's for like, for example, a, a tequila tasting or something I'm doing online. Is there a way to validate my hypothesis that this is something I wanna do? Can I ask some people, either supporters or, or customers or anyone out there that would just give me insight and not being afraid to ask for input because ultimately we're trying to convince people to buy our, our product or service. So if you don't talk to the customer, then you're not going to know how they really feel. Do they want to pay for it? Do they want to invest, um, you know, their time or energy into whatever it is? So the other part of it is like failure is going to happen sometimes, but it may not be the massive failure we think. And you never, I, I really do believe things happen for a reason. It's like, I like the phrase, you know, don't waste, don't waste a mistake. I also like the phrase, something I've said to myself recently is the L like in sports, I don't really know sports though, but you're like taking the L, like the L isn't a loss, it's a lesson. What can I learn from this? And I think that you kind of have to remove the emotion from it of thinking, oh my God, this is a failure. It's so awful. It's like, no, what did I learn from this? Can I avoid this mistake in the, in the future? Because that's, that's a savings of time and resourcing again. Is it something that can help me do a better job in the future or if it's really like it feels like a failure, but actually 80% of it worked out and it just doesn't feel that great, but you're like, wait a minute, the goals were accomplished and that's still valuable. And more than anything, the, the learning is always gonna be more valuable than just like an easy quick win. So kind of reframing that fear and I like the acronym, right? Like um, fear is false evidence appearing real, trying to figure out what is the false evidence that we think is appearing real? Like what's the real fear here? Is it is failure actually gonna happen? Is it realistic? What does that failure look like? And is it just the, the perception of that fear? The perception that people are gonna judge it, that um, you know, that there's something that is so insurmountable that we're afraid to move forward when I, I've also, I, I always like one-liners and things like that. Lately, I've been thinking about the phrase a lot. There's two, present over perfect. You gotta try, even if it's not perfect, as a recovering perfectionist is important to me but also intention over insecurity. You know, like if the intention is to do something that's good, that adds value, then, you know, the best thing we can do is try because ultimately if we let the insecurity block us, then we'll just never know. And then we'll be exactly where we are now, which isn't really where we want to be if we want to move ahead and make things happen. Keeping a vision on the big picture. I, I really like that. And I, I feel like it would main, help maintain some levity in, in the moment and in the heat of things. 
Now, Eliana, the other thing I want to ask you about is you've operated both uh, in a family business. You mentioned the, the tequila business you have with your family and obviously on your own. Um, can you talk to me about uh, what a different experience that's been um, one versus the other? Mm -hmm. Oh, they are quite different. So let's see, in the family business dynamic, my dad, We what I've learned is that in a team setting, it's important to learn what people's skill sets are and how to either um, like tag team or, you know, whose skill sets are complementary, where are their gaps, where are their opportunities, and just being aware of the skills at the table. And what I didn't do early on in my career with the family business is apply that lens here, where we're just like, it's my dad. I can't like hire someone else. He can't hire someone else instead of me. We're family. So I didn't approach it in the same way as I got more involved like I mean we were in it from the beginning for sure but as I as I started actually developing more of my skills as a marketer and even doing design work and started leaning into the tequila business even more for example my mom and I designed the first bottle together the label the bottle everything the second one I did it on my own so that was a difference right I wasn't doing it with someone else at this point I was like I can do this I got this mom busy she's a teacher there's other things on her plate, I can do this. And so that took a different level of confidence for me to have, but also developing more trust for my dad, where he kind of saw me as, you know, his Miha, who had gone to school and, and gone to work at a company. But I was, there were moments where I was like, Bobby, I know what I'm doing. I do marketing for Google. I can apply this here. And it was sort of just having to remind him in some ways that I know what I'm doing. I've learned a lot. I can apply it here. And there's benefit to the company. But then also me realizing, all right, even if my dad seems kind of stubborn sometimes, and even though he's my dad, and sometimes I tell him ideas and it doesn't feel like he's really paying attention, you know, at the end of the day, my family knows I'm the one that can convince him most, I can reason with him, but sometimes I feel like it was almost pulling teeth and he knows this and we joke about it all the time. But then I came to realize, oh, my dad's really, I never thought of applying these words to my dad, but the corporate experience helped me see that. Like my dad's really good at operations. He's an operational guy. He's not a big picture. Well, he has vision for sure. But he's not like an idea person and flowy and like a non-linear. He's a very linear thinker, mm. which sometimes I would struggle with and try and explain my ideas to him. And I was just like, this whole thing makes sense. And why doesn't he see it? And then I realized, oh, he's like my old bosses or my previous bosses who were much more linear thinkers. So I realized, oh, I just need to apply that. What I've done with my bosses, apply that here. And in a way that doesn't feel like impersonal, but leveraging it of like, okay, I can walk him one step at a time. And if I can convince my dad of something that I, you know, have in mind for the, all of pandemic time has been me throwing all types of new ideas his way. And I'm so proud of him that he's been way more open-minded about it. And that's been awesome. So I think one of the positives now has been that, you know, we have a team to, he and I are the ones most involved. My sister and my mom still are involved in some capacities, but he and I are the ones leading this most. Most, I have some people from my personal team involved as well. They're almost like ad hoc assigned to Alchemia for certain things. But it's been interesting to see how, like, I can appreciate his skill set a whole lot more. And I think he appreciates mine significantly more too, where he knows when yesterday he, he had a challenge, he was like, you know, if, if this were this, how would you approach this? And I, I started to unpack what he was saying and I was like, oh, and one of my strengths is being able to like see through the clutter, find the solution, propose a strategy, piece the puzzle together. And I could see it really quickly and he had not seen it that way. And it was really cool because he brought me a challenge related to the business that I was able to solve. 
um, you know, a lot of the opportunities I've had in my network have benefited the, the work where years ago I couldn't because I was too young. I didn't have the network and the expertise and, and the just market marketing experience. Um, so we're sort of like learning more and more about each other and how to leverage those skills best and trust those skills. Like I know that any kind of financial operational things, my dad's got that and he can run with it. And he now knows he can trust me more on the marketing, the biz dev, stuff like that. Contrast to my own ventures where um, sometimes I almost wish I had someone like my dad who's more ops heavy. Um, I'll be hiring for that soon. But for the most part, I mean, I think one of the things I've learned is I think any of us can do almost anything if we really had to. We can learn the skill. We can, um, I don't know, watch YouTube videos to figure it out. Like it's, it's somehow we're going to, when you have to do it as an entrepreneur, like you're going to have to figure it out somehow. But I also know that you know, I have some very clear strengths and some areas of, I can call them a weakness, but sometimes it's like, well, I could learn it. It's just a matter of how I want to spend my time. Do I want to prioritize that versus hiring someone or reaching out to a friend to help me or having someone on my team as it is leaning into that if they can do it better, faster, more effectively than I can. But it is interesting to know that like in this capacity, I'm calling the shots. I'm the CEO. I get to make these decisions. I love the autonomy. But then again, contrast to working with my dad is like, it's nice to have that person there to tag team with and to have completely different skill sets at the table and knowing that there's trust, that we're, we're building more and more every day. We're, we have a good dynamic there. It took years to get there because I was like, again, I was telling my dad, like, I'm not just your Miha, I actually have like a marketing <laughs> professional. Mm -hmm. And so it's it's been cool to evolve together. But um, yeah, like I said, the, the pros and cons are very clear as, as an entrepreneur on my own. Like I said, I love the autonomy. I'm really glad that I don't have to run ideas by anyone to approve them. Uh, that's part of why I was ready to leave Google. It's like, yeah, I get to do good work at Google, but I was ready to just make the decisions for myself. I was ready to dive into things I wanted. And anyway, so I love that. But then every now and then, and I even this morning, I told my dad, like, I might run some numbers by you for my own business stuff. So I'm like, I need someone to just vet this. Like, of course I can do the math. Do I feel better about it if somebody else gives it another um, another review? who's even better at numbers than I am. Absolutely. So I'm learning a lot from both every day. Yeah. And I, 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 it sounds like there's power in that, right. And power in being able to get a second opinion, having the network to lean on. And once mm -hmm. you have the team to be able to delegate, because like you said, um, it's not that we can't learn it. It's just, we only have so much time. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. And, I, and, and I'm curious, just kind of walking back uh, a little bit to the top uh, where you talked about your inter experience with Google and founding Ola, uh, the, the employee resource group. I'm curious, in your time at Google, what what did you learn about being uh, a person of color um, in, in corporate? Everything that, that you take when you're in one of these positions where you're learning about representation, right? You're learning about ownership. Um, what are some of those skills that you perhaps learned where you were creating this ERG that you've been able to perhaps apply while creating, for example, Latina Soup Brunch, which is all about Latinidad. It's about that, this, this affinity that bonds us. Um, but also to a certain degree, I'm sure the, the tequila company as well, right? Like being uh, based out of Mexico, uh, certainly very strong roots to, to, to the motherland. Definitely. There's so much overlap, I think, when you learn these in any container, if it's a company, uh, an organization of any kind. So something that I learned and I got to really lean into as a leader, developing my leadership skills at Google was just to find people who have the same values and have a lot of heart 
for the impact, for the mission, and then see the different skills they bring into the table to create together. And so I love that at Google in all that, I mean, it was all about impact. We did so many cool projects from supporting small businesses, working with the policy team around civic engagement, um, you know, doing coding initiatives. We, we started the coding, code as a second language program with the Hispanic Heritage Foundation. It was awesome. But at the end of the day, none of that was possible without these amazing people who helped me do it. And they are family to me forever. There's, especially early on when we were first creating it all, it just, these are people that really showed up and volunteered their time because they cared. And that I think convinced me that there's people out there who want to contribute to impact, to supporting our community. And so a lot of that energy is what I see as part of the magic of Latinas Who Brunch, which is believing that people want to create and contribute to community because it's easy to think who's going to come to our event and does anyone out there even want this and it's like no there's people out there who want community like really truly outside of their day job want to connect with their people and will help contribute to that so one of the earliest events we did um she knows i was give her credit a friend of mine she's become an even better friend through latinas who brunch her name is mish short for michelle she lives in miami and when i was doing these events in different cities she said when are you going to bring this to miami i'll help you plan it and I had that same almost like sensation, that feeling of people from Ola who were down to help me make things happen. And so I was going to be in Miami for work. I said, okay, let's do it. She found the venue. They sponsored the meal. She recommended awesome people to invite. She contributed so much. And I think that as an entrepreneur, as a community builder, sometimes it can feel a little scary to invite people or to almost allow, it's a little strong, but almost allow them or trust them, right? It's like your baby. Are they really going to do as good a job as you will? And in this case, she absolutely did. She went above and beyond. It was one of our best, most coolest events. And she, it really set the bar even higher. So I think when we say like the, we are the, um, the sum is greater than its parts. Like we are the sum together. And so that was really exciting for me because I, I really believed that there's more people out there who'd want Latinas to brunch, not just to attend, but to contribute. And she's one of the first. And after that, that's why I was even open to the idea of having people apply to host brunches in different cities where I wasn't even going to be in person. It was all based around my travel schedule really before if I was going to New York and have a brunch there, if I was in Chicago, in Austin. But I knew that that was going to limit the growth. I can't be everywhere and there's Latinas everywhere who want to brunch. And so because Mish became that example, then I started inviting people to apply online and I knew people who were interested. And I mean, the, the magic that they've created and it was really around me trusting that they understand the mission. And that's again, true for, for Ola, for Latinas Who Brunch, being super clear on the mission and the vision, the values that we represent. Like I told them, this is about positive community. We're not here to be competitive. There's no cattiness at these events. We don't need that. There's enough of that elsewhere. This is about support and empowerment and also driving impact locally. You know, having these events at uh, Latino, Latino restaurants and cafes, stuff like that. I figured if we're gonna show up and pay money for a meal let's bring it back to the community so I think those are values that have been true for me in all the senses in every instance that I've been I've had the opportunity to to create and lead a group but also allow it to be a platform for other people to shine as leaders that makes me really happy when it's not just about I, I if it were just about me that's just not that interesting to me. you know it's just like it's kind of a short-sighted goal if this if I can see other people shine like how can this help people go from being a star to help them become a superstar? Like that makes me so happy. I see them grow as leaders. I see them shine brighter. That is just, it just means the world to me. And in a community, I think that's what we need is like 
just because you're shining, that doesn't put down anyone else's shine. And we, I don't want us to be in a community that is still stuck in this, like, you know, what do they say? The, the crab mentality of like, you know, they're going to pull you down. If, if you're rising, it's like, no, let's uplift each other, collaborate, leverage the skills, and then use that, that goodness that we all bring together to do even more than we could do on our own. I love that. I love the mission and the vision for that. Um, so Eliana, we've learned so much about you and I think learned so much through your experiences. So thank you so much for sharing. I want to wrap our interview here with two more on the shorter end rapid fire kind of questions. If you give any advice to first mover entrepreneurs, um, that, that are thinking about starting their business, uh, you already touched on it, but for first movers in particular, what, what would you suggest? What advice would you have to them? I would say be very, very clear on the problem you want to solve or like, what is that thing that you want to create? Is it solving a problem or is there an opportunity? Sometimes with products, it's a little different, Um, but let's just assume it's a problem that you want to solve. Be very clear on what the problem is, who's facing it. Get to know that customer, that person, that, that client very, very well. Even if you make up a persona that reflects that experience in different contexts, because you have to remember who you're trying to serve because if you market to yourself unless that person is you or someone very much like you it's easy to lose sight of who they are and where they are how to reach them how to authentically connect with them so i think knowing like the who who they are and like what is the problem to solve is super important and that may shape your why like why are you trying to solve this in the first place hmm. very good advice and so far in all the management of money through operations of your uh, entrepreneurship, like just growing up and managing money, what is your biggest money learnings so far? I want to say some things that's probably seem obvious to people, but it's like, this was key to my own ability to leave Google and have um, my, my safety net is um, save as much as you can in the short term don't worry about spending on things that are short-term moves. Like, yes, there's a place for enjoying yourself day to day it without pandemic context, you know, people, people go to dinner and do these normal things, but like, I don't go to the movies. I save my money to go on trips, like like bigger things. And then from an entrepreneurial standpoint, knowing, no, just know exactly how much you have saved up and how much you like, what is your trend in spending so that you know how long you can live with your savings how long can you what's what's your run rate basically or your burn rate so that there's no surprises so that you're not cut off guard because if anything happens with your business if you have three to six months of saved money in fact shout out to snowball wealth my friend follower on social on this account uh, ask snowball we had a lot of conversations about this about how do you build generational wealth it's not just how much you earn it is so much about how much you save so avoid having those those panic moments of thinking is my business going to work or not? I don't have any more money in the bank. It's super important to be just prepared for those emergencies by being thoughtful of how you're spending, not just how much you're earning. Very good takeaway to end on and definitely something that we're going to keep discussing here on one of the moves. Eliana, thank you so much for joining us and sharing a little bit more about your experience in entrepreneurship. Thank you for having me. It was awesome. And I look forward to hearing more updates in the future, more episodes.